0: Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Crash and Ride podcast. This is a special new thing I'm going to try to do every Wednesday where I explicate a song that I absolutely adore from the ground up. It's going to be available for $10 subscribers on the Patreon page. Um, You know, I try to provide the show for free because it's about mental health and I don't want to be a gatekeeper for people getting help. This whole idea that you only deserve mental health care if you're wealthy or you can afford it is just bullshit. It's what our whole healthcare system is predicated upon and I'm absolutely opposed to it. But I also really, really, really love music and really, really love songs. And um I want to do a thing, you know, where I just talk about what a song means, what its cultural context is, what some of the nuts and bolts that went into making it are, as much as I can from the perspective of a drummer who can't really play guitar. And if you if you hear me get something wrong, like if you're a player or you know more about an artist than I'm talking about, shoot me an email at com, and I'll I'll make a change and we'll get it right. Um, the first song today is Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. I realized, like... Man, you're not really digging into your underground roots here, buddy. But um, you know, I really, I think that um, somehow "Born to Run" is both under and overrated in a lot of ways because it's really an amazing song. And I'm I'm also gonna do, uh, I'm gonna do "Give Me Shelter" by the Rolling Stones at some point. And I realize that that's in every goddamn Martin Scorsese film ever made, and you've heard it eight million times. But I want to maybe help people bring fresh ears to these tracks that are just enormous. Like cultural touchstones like this, because like every now and then I'll be I'll be riding along in the in the truck and I'll hear a song on the radio and I'll think, man, this song's really great, and it'll catch me off guard. And that happened with Born to Run a few years ago, and Five Eight decided to cover it because I was just um, kind of rock back on my heels about just how apocalyptic it is. There's something about the whole Phil Spector Wall of Sound production on it that. That I just think is amazing. Um, so, okay, let's let's jump into it. So, for starters, let's let's go back to the Paleolithic era and talk about what I mean when I say the Phil Spector Wall of Sound. Uh, Phil Spector was a musician and producer from New York City, moved out to Los Angeles. He was famous for his production technique of quote unquote using the studio as an instrument. And his whole thing was to just stack layers and layers and layers of instruments on a track until it was as he, by his own description, Wagnerian, and uh, you know, and that included things like like in Born to Run, there's Glockenspiel and there's like many layers of guitar and also uh, both piano and organ. And so when you start stacking instruments like this, it's not a natural sound. It's not like um, a sort of one take all the musicians in the studio, like a jazz recording. Like, for example, if you're listening to a John Coltrane recording from the like, late 50s, early 60s, um, there's a, you've got a stereo microphone in the middle of the room, and all the musicians are sort of staged around the microphone, and, and there's no mul- overdubs, there's no multiple takes. That's all technology that came in later in the 60s. And, and um, a lot of that was sort of pioneered on the West Coast with the Wrecking Crew, which was the uh, Los Angeles-based Studio musicians, Carol Kay, Hal Blaine, Glenn Campbell was a guitar player for The Wrecking Crew. I highly encourage you to check out the movie The Wrecking Crew about that whole situation. Brian Wilson, of course, from the Beach Boys, used The Wrecking Crew and the sort of Phil Spector studio environment to try to craft pet sounds, which ultimately, well, anyway, if you don't know that story, you should dig into that too. It kind of becomes a, a, a parable about the limits of of creativity and and human emotion translated into music and and of course brian wilson had a nervous breakdown and anyway that's more than i want to get into here but let's contextualize born to run and in 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 terms of um bruce springsteen's career at this point bruce has two records out greetings from asbury park and the wild the innocent and the e street shuffle Uh, both of these were recorded at 914 studios in blowvelt new york and Born to Run is also recorded at 914 Studios. Now, 914 Studios is a small kind of converted gas station studio in Blowveld. and there's a really cool little documentary about it on YouTube, if you can find it. Um, and it was about 45 minutes from New York City, and it was not, it was just, just over the line from New Jersey and New York, and it was a place that Bruce could go north of Asbury Park and like buckle into the studio and work without a whole lot of distractions and, and like the the overhead of hourly time in New York City where it was really expensive. Now, I think this might have been the last recording that Bruce did at 914 Studios because when they went back in to continue recording the rest of the album, understand that like Born to Run and another single were recorded in a separate session prior to the bulk of Born to Run. Um, There were just so many technical problems at this small studio. It kept interrupting the workflow that they ended up moving into New York City to finish the album. Also with slightly different personnel, but we'll get into that. So yeah, so the Born to Run session uh, begins in May of 1974, and this is coming on the heels of the moderate but not complete success of the first two Bruce Springsteen records. And I feel like this is where he turned a corner as a writer, and I might get into trouble for saying this, but I feel like the first two albums, they show a lot of promise, but even Bruce admits that he was kind of aping Bob Dylan in a lot of ways in his, in his lyric writing. And, and I feel like even though the songs are really, really good on uh, Greetings from Asbury Park and The Wild, The Innocent, and The East Street Shuffle, there's a kind of Dylan-esque word salad thing happening. And I, I just don't think that he comes into his own as a lyricist until Born to Run. And even he admits that. I happen to be reading the Bruce Springsteen book right now. By that, I mean the Bruce Springsteen autobiography, Born to Run. Um, and on page 178 in that book, he talks about um, departing from his early Dylan-esque influences. Let, let me get the book out. Hold on. Okay, yeah, here on page 178. Bruce says, I never wrote completely in that style again. Once the record was released, I heard all the Dylan comparisons, so I steered away from it. But the lyrics and spirit of greetings came from an unselfconscious place. Your early songs emerge from a moment when you're writing with no sure prospect of ever being heard. Up until then, it's just you and your music. That only happens once. Now, it's interesting. There's a couple things I want to talk about here. One, of all people, my dad, the Air Force officer, I guess probably at this time he was a major. He might have been a lieutenant colonel at that point. We were riding along. I was just like a 12-year-old kid. Just started playing drums, didn't know the first thing about being in bands or anything. And some band that my dad liked was on the radio, and it was their second or third record, and he was kind of unimpressed. It might have been one of the tracks off the third Dire Straits record. And my dad said, you know... I really like this band's first record and I think the second one was okay but you get your whole life to write your first record and you get maybe a year to write your second one and like of all people like my dad who'd never written a record in his life was such a like intense music consumer that he had that insight and and laid that on me and man that came true in my own life so many times and it, I've heard other artists say that but there's Bruce saying it. You know, he had his whole life to write Greetings from Asbury Park. And then after that, you know, the whole world was pressing in on him. And I and I think the seeds of, of the later Bruce Springsteen, the great writer, are there, especially on a track like Lost on the Flood, which I think is an unsung, amazing song from Greetings. Um, but I think that there was just kind of a like, you know, we're coming out of the late 60s. Dylan is sort of, quote, unquote, voice of a generation. and And Bruce kind of jumped on that bandwagon. Um, and he was just such a gifted performer and and committed live performer that he had the opportunity to grow into it. Also, it doesn't hurt that he was egregiously good-looking. Man, that was a good-looking dude. So I think that, like, Born to Run is the song where he turns a corner as a writer. There's a lot of other personnel stuff going on, too. It's important to note that this was the one and only session played by Ernest Boom Carter who was a friend of david sanctions the keyboard player on this session a piano player i think it might be organ i'll have to double check my notes but um Ernest comes in on this one session the 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 rhythm tracks are laid down in may of 1974 and he just crushes it now he had been playing some shows with the with with the nascent e street band um but this is the only recorded session of Ernest Carter and he brings a swing to this song that I've never heard it played this way by the East street band since Max Weinberg is a much more like bulldozer of a drummer, more straight ahead. But the, the album track born to run has this amazing feel. And in the book, of course, Bruce, uh, he describes Ernest Carter as being more of a jazz drummer and having more of a swing feel. There's nothing like, He's not light hitting here. Like he's definitely crushing it, but he's got this swing feel that gives the song a buoyancy that I think is part of the magic of the track. Okay. Before I jump into the song, I want to talk a little bit about the personnel who were at the session. So the reason Ernest Boom Carter is there is because Vinny Mad Dog Lopez had to be let go Uh, in the book. Bruce talks about because Vinny Mad Dog Lopez could, could get his mouth out ahead of his ass and get his ass beat or start some shit. And, Clarence Carter nearly choked him out one time. And, and you know, that's not a guy you want to be on the bus with. So they let Lopez go. They bring in Ernest Boom Carter. Um, at this point, Bruce's band is half black and half white. There's David Sanctus on keys. Ernest Boom Carter, as I said, on drums. Clarence Clemens on saxophone. And then uh, Bruce Springsteen, of course, on vocals and guitar, Gary Talent on bass, and Danny Federici on organ and glockenspiel. And like, there's just a whole, there's so many tracks on this session. And it was uh, 72 total tracks bounced down to 16. Now, if you're not a recording engineer or you're not someone who spends a lot of time in the studio, let me explain that process to you. What happens on a multi-track board is that you can have individual tracks going in, but as you add tracks, what you have to do is you have to like bounce information from one channel down to a grouped channel. So like in I have I have multi tracks somewhere of some early Motown stuff and they'll be like bass and strings on one channel and there'll be keys and snare drum on another channel because you're what you're combining just to make room for extra stuff. So, so nine fourteen studios has sixteen tracks on the mix bus, which they can then bust down to two channels, left and right stereo mix. So they got seventy two channels going into sixteen, going into stereo. So it's just incredibly dense, and, and and it gives it that like almost apocalyptic sound. And 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 so let's explore some of the sounds on the session real quick the song is in 4-4 four, four time and it comes in halfway through a measure because there's this drum fill at the beginning and it's the 3 and 4 of the measure before the actual downbeat for the song so the way that you count this song in if you were starting it if you were either Bruce or, or Ernest Carter is you, you'd give to set the tempo you'd count 1 and, and 2 of the previous measure and then 1, 2 of the measure before the drum fill starts so it'd be like 1, 2, one, two. So you got this like cacophonous drum fill, and then there's a measure where they just hold a whole note. And that whole note is E. E is like the, the fundamental root chord of rock and roll. It's, it's, it's an open chord, it's the, the lowest string on the guitar, and the high string are tuned to E. It's like a drone. And then this song, it ends up almost like a mantra like the fundamental like the, it sets this pad up right and and what that does is set the stage for this phenomenal guitar hook and every other instrument except for gary Talent's bass is holding that that home oh, the saxophone organ piano Gary Talent's doing a little bass figure, boom. But everything else is like centered around that hook or holding that drone. In the book, Bruce says he had that riff for like a year before he came to the studio to record Born to Run. And it's such a great, right sort of... That's the that's the theme of the song, and it sets it up right up front, and it's just absolutely indelible. I think it's important to notice that on that sort of central guitar theme, there's a thing called tremolo. Now, if you don't know what tremolo is, uh, Bruce is coming out of the context of the sort of Jersey Shore, doo-wop, greaser culture, and tremolo was a big part of rockabilly, and that's the difference between this... <laughs> and this. Just that little bit of vibrato uh, gives it this, this sort of reference to the Jersey shore instantly. And I think that's a little bit of the magic of the tune. So that hook repeats twice, it's a very short little intro and then we're into the verse now let's talk about bruce's lyrics on the first verse real quick the song is a love song for a woman named wendy it's set in freehold new jersey we know that because it references highway nine right in the third line which runs right through freehold and um, the day we sweated out in the streets of a runaway american dream at night we ride through mansions of glory and suicide machines sprung from cages out on highway nine chrome wheeled fuel injection and stepping out over the line. So we're a long way from go-kart Mozart at this point, right? This seems to be like an actual slice of young Bruce Springsteen's life. And it, it has a truth to it that a lot of the sort of early kind of poetic image, poetic image, poetic image that he was pulling sort of from the highway 61 revisited writing style of Bob Dylan. He's now into this more, impressionistic visual temporal reference to working class new jersey which i think is much more his strength than than sort of trying to be bob dylan
1: In the day we
0: Now I want you to notice the difference between the first half of that verse and the second half of the verse. For the first two lines, you've got this like uh, palm-muted chuck 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 that's setting the beat for the song. And and Ernest Carter, though he may be a jazz player, is playing a perfect backbeat, only with a little syncopated push on the hi hat at the end of the phrase. Um, and then, in the middle of the verse, it switches to this more open part that's an arpeggiation with the piano and the glockenspiel. And it just fucking shimmers. It's so good. It's like the difference between this.
1: At night we ride the mansions of glory and suicide machines.
0: And this.
1: Sprung from cages on our-
0: It's it's absolutely sublime. And I think part of what's so great about it is you get the first half of the work day and then the second half of the verse is about breaking out of those cages and and having this like kind of almost godlike experience of 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 drag racing and 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 cheating death so with that sort of like extra human experience and you you get this ringing piano and glockenspiel arpeggiation part that's almost angelic it's so poetic and perfect and then you get this like syncopated full band push right in the middle of the second part of the verse that heightens the tension even more like listen to this Bruce's voice breaks there like there's so much emotion packed into that note that there's this like harmonic thing that happens with vocal cords. You get this little whistle when you you bear down really hard and it, it, it sets up the last part of the verse and the one line of chorus. baby this town rips the bones from your back it's a death trap it's a suicide rap we gotta get out while we're young you know i was on tour once with mike mills and we were in macon georgia which is his hometown and he was telling me a story about when him and bill berry lived in a house together on like the second floor over a street and they were doing music and they had a friend who was um working with the band and i think it was also a musician or something and like that guy started a family unexpectedly. And by that, I mean, he got his girlfriend pregnant and Bill turned to Mike and said, we got to get out of here or we're going to be here forever. And that's when they moved to Athens, Georgia. And they later went on to f- to form REM. And, and and the rest of course is history, but like, that's the small town thing. Like, and, and that's what, like, so the song is in freehold. It's Wendy and our narrator. I'm going to call him Bruce for now. And like, you know, this is the moment where they realize like they have to escape this place if they're going to have a life other than like working for the man or whatever. And then like, there's only one line of chorus after that like baby we were born to run. trance like us baby we were born to run and then you get that massive guitar hook so once again like this song isn't really a classic pop song and that you're not singing the chorus over and over and over like you get it once you get the hook and then we're back into the verse trance like us baby we were born By, by the way, Gary Talent just killing it here. Like these little bass figures at the end of the phrase, that boom, That it, 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 I think it's probably going to, let me check. Is it going to E? Hold on. Yep, yep, it's E. So he's that's the, the dominant, uh, that's the key of the song, and he's restating it there in the chorus, which uh, is fucking cool. So yeah, so verse two. So once again, the verse is split into the straight backbeat and then the glockenspiel and piano, 16th note arpeggiation. Wendy, let me in. I want to be your friend. I want to guard your dreams and visions. That's really, that's such a, man, two great lines from a love song. Let, and then it gets kind of more corporal. Just wrap your legs around these velvet rims and strap your hands across my engines. I just love those first lines so much. Wendy, let me in. I want to be your friend. I want to guard your dreams and visions, man. That's, that's fucking great. And then of course there's two lines about getting it on. Um, And then we break out into the 16th note piano and glockenspiel part again. And we get these amazing lyrics together. We could break this trap. We'll run till we drop baby. We'll never go back. Will you walk with me out on the wire? Because, baby, we'll baby, we'll oh, oh, baby, I'm just a scared and lonely rider. Notice also that Clarence Clemens' saxophone part is paralleling the bass line through that whole verse. That bum, bum. It's almost like um Paco Bell's canon and d it, it's that sort of falling uh melody line that that sets up an, another two lines and this time it's not even the, the the chorus it's uh but baby i gotta find out how it feels i want to know if love is wild girl i want to know if love is real he doesn't even say tramps like us baby we were born to run again this this is a song <laughs> where the chorus is a guitar part hey, And then we get the first solo of the song, which is a blistering Clarence Clemens saxophone solo. Of course, Bruce Springsteen's famous uh, saxophone player, Clarence Clemens, who he often referred to as the big man. Um, And Clarence was not a jazz guy. He was from the soul R&B sax tradition. Um, which was something that Bruce was really adamant about because he had messed with jazz guys in the past, and there was a tendency to kind of avoid some of the gut bucket stuff that he thought was really elemental and moving to people. And he wanted a guy who, like, was at home in that idiom, was comfortable playing, like, blasting soulful parts. And and man, Clarence really brings it here. <laughs> Also, let me let me just let me just point out uh Carter's insane drum feel there. Let's listen to that again. <laughs> now, because the production is so dense, it's really hard to hear all of what's going on there, but there is a hi hat to kick drum do 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 that um even even Max Weinberg is on record saying, I don't, I, don't, I don't fuck with that film, man. But it's definitely like the hardest part of playing the song as a drummer. So, so Clearance burns the house down for about four more bars. And then there's this huge emotional shift back to the kind of atmosphere, the second half of the first two verses with that arpeggiated glockenspiel part. And Ernest Carter is backing off from a straight 2-4 backbeat. Not that he was playing a strictly straight 2-4 and four backbeat before, but it, it opens up the feel of the song when he starts playing on the and of 2 instead of on the downbeat of 2. So it goes 1-2-and-3-4, 1-2-and-3-4. Um, um, and that sets the stage for this whole sort of lift of the bridge, right? And then you start to see the real work that Bruce did in the six months that he spent just trying to write the lyrics for this song because he really paints some pictures in the bridge, man. "'Beyond the palace, hemi-powered drones scream down the boulevard. The girls comb their hair in rearview mirrors, and the boys try to look so hard. The amusement park rises, bold and stark. Kids are huddled on the beach in a mist. "'I want to die with you, Wendy, on the streets tonight in an everlasting kiss.'" Come on, man.
1: Beyond the ballots, let me bar a drone, scream down the boulevard. Girls comb their hairs and weave you and the boys try to look so hard. The amusement park rides and bold and snark. Kids are up on the beach in the mills. I want to die with you and me on the street tonight and a neverlasting kiss. Now, if
0: you listen closely through that section, Clemens is showing his like sort of gut bucket, like barrel house blues roots by playing the tonic um, as like an ensemble player. Like if you have a big band, you've got a whole wind section, you know, Clarence is playing as if he's part of a section. He's just playing whole notes while this sort of ethereal dreamlike thing happens in, 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 And Bruce spins out some of the most powerful lyrics in the whole song. And then there's this massive snare hit, and the whole song explodes. Uh! (laughs) Ernest Carter, wherever you are, you're a bad, bad man. Also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention here that Bruce takes an incredible guitar solo here. Now, remember that Bruce, before he became Bruce Springsteen, the songwriter, was Bruce the guitar slinger in the Castiles and the band Steel Mill. Um, and he was this guitar hero guy and worked really hard on his guitar technique, and that was a big part of the show. And in this solo, like there's like all this low string, 16th note, uh, wild stuff, and it's a great guitar solo, um, which... You know, there's already been a great sax solo in the song, now there's a great guitar solo. And then something really special happens. Okay, up to this point, we have a somewhat atypical pop song. Still a pop song, rock song, whatever. It's got a verse and a chorus, and a verse and a chorus and a bridge. Although the chorus is only one line, and it's only the beginning of the first verse. But we got this big hook that sort of stands in as a chorus. But now this crescendo happens that is almost like orchestral music there's this huge it's like bend up in the melody and then it comes crashing down and i mean like falling down the fucking stairs crashing down ba 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 and then of course just like falling down the stairs it speeds up ba 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 <laughs> i mean
1: <laughs> what <laughs>
0: I mean this is this is Wallace Sound. This is Phil Spector. This is this is creating orchestral music with rock instruments. There's glockenspiel of course, but everything else is like R&B or rock instruments and it's cacophonous and it's apocalyptic and it's amazing. And then there's this just massive swirl as like the song is sitting in the smoking ruin of its bridge. I mean, this could easily stand in for that part in um, uh, the Beatles' uh, A Day in the Life on Sgt. Pepper. There's a big orchestral part there, or it could very easily be in a Stravinsky piece. It's this, like, drone. It's uh, The note is B, I think. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's just sort of holding for a minute uh, as a kind of denouement for that huge bridge. And then, and then, our hero... Counts us back in. You'll notice, though, that there's no return to the palm muted straight to four of the first two verses. Like we come in at the very emotional height of this song with these lyrics. The highways jam with broken heroes on a last chance power drive. Everyone's out on the run tonight, but there's no place left to hide. And then we go back to the Glockenspiel arpeggio. Together, Wendy, we'll live with the sadness. I love you with all the madness in my soul. Someday, girl, I don't know when, we're going to get to that place where we really want to go, and we'll walk in the sun. But till then, tramps like us, baby, we were born to run. So we finally get a restatement of the chorus, and we get into the big finish. I guess it's probably worth mentioning that in the book, Bruce talks about his parents, his father struggled with depression and he worked in different factories and, um, was kind of probably an alcoholic or something. And and definitely like was a dark guy and he and his wife, Bruce's mom and the youngest sister moved out to California away from New Jersey. And it was that I think that line about, uh, about Wendy and, and our hero, Bruce, um, where we really want to go and we'll walk in the sun. Uh, you know, it, I think that that's maybe part of when you're living in the Northeastern, like factory life, you dream about Florida or California as this place to escape to. So I really like that imagery in that last verse. And then, um, he sings the chorus line once. And then we get into this, um, almost military feeling build. Like if, if there wasn't enough drama in this song already, we get this, uh, eighth note, um, like chug to build into one final run at multiple iterations of the course let's listen to that Here, sort of after that like eighth note build into the staccato syncopated eighths, um the song just takes off right and you can you can feel it click up just a little bit in tempo there and and the song really starts to soar and i feel like this is the the release of all the tension that has been built by that insane bridge and 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 by that last eighth note like staccato build and i think it's sort of riding the energy of the last two lines of the song about um where we really want to go, we'll walk in the sun and until then Tramps like us, baby we were born to run. And and that sort of lift is the flight out of the song. <laughs> Everybody hits that last note together, and it almost sounds like fucking bagpipes. Listen, 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 Let's just listen to that last note again real quick. That's kind of unexpectedly evocative, that drone. Um, it's E, just like the drone at the very beginning, the first pad, before we set up the big guitar hook. So, um, you know, Bruce went on to sell, like, a bazillion copies. This was the song that put him on the cover of Newsweek and Time magazine, and and sort of propelled the E Street Band and Bruce Springsteen into superstardom. And I I think it's deserved. Like I know there's a million songs that we hear all the time, and they kind of just go by like our wallpaper because they've been like the blueprint of our cultural upbringing. But this this song and a couple others I think are special because there's a lot going on. I mean that song is like. Just a a hair over four minutes long, I think. And, man, a lot happens in four minutes. There's a a lot of emotion and a lot of musical movement packed into that song. And I think that um, the time that was spent on it and the amount of effort that went into it is rewarded by being so extraordinary. All right. So if you uh, are a real musician, uh, you're not a drummer, and you heard me hit something wrong there, tell me and I'll, I'll make a correction if need be. Uh, just uh, crash and ride at protonmail.com is the email address. I want to do this every week. I'm going to make it available to the $10 per month subscribers on the Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com slash crash and ride, all one word. And, um, if you have suggestions for songs you'd like to hear, if it's something I'm really into and I can like find a way to download it and put it in Pro Tools and chop it up like I did this one, I'll, I'll be happy to do it. Thanks to Jake Craig, our erstwhile producer. He sends me show notes after every show to help me make them better. He hasn't even heard this yet. I, I don't even warn him I'm going to do this. Hi, Jake. What do you think? Was it good? Let me know. Um, Thanks to Heil Audio for these two PR-40 microphones that I use for every interview that I do. I only use one when it's just me, so I'm just one. Here it is, PR-40, right here, right in front of my face, and that's why this thing sounds so good. If you're looking to upgrade the microphones for your podcast, I'd suggest looking into the Heil PR-40. They've been great for me. Um, Thanks to Gene Wolflick in the powder room. Uh, The Powder Room provided the music at the beginning of the episode, and the music you're hearing now underneath my voiceover. um, I was in that band for a number of years. I'm not on these two songs, by the way. I'm on the next record, which is called Lucky. You can hear all the Powder Room stuff, though, at thepowderroom.bandcamp.com. Hey, download that record, throw them a few bucks, because they're a great band, and they deserve to be heard. So I hope you enjoyed this new thing, this new Crash and Ride song, Explicator feature. Um, I'm going to try to do a song every week, as I said, and um, so keep an ear out for that. And until we meet again, um, take care of yourself. Be kind to yourself. Ask for help if you need it. Go see live music. Support your favorite band. And remember, loud guitars save lives.